For those, for those of us that remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We will be in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 13 this morning. <clears throat> Again, Philippians four ten through 13. As, pa- as Pastor Bob mentioned earlier, we are getting ready to vote uh, next week on Dave Sturkin for our Director of Family Ministries. So since it's, it fits in with what we are going to be talking about this morning, and since many of us here were unable to attend his teaching time with the youth, I wanted to start our time this morning with what I thought was a great illustration that Dave shared with the kiddos to help them understand uh, what Jesus was trying to get across big picture-wise as he taught through uh, sections of the Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago. So uh, Dave, excuse me, Dave took our big whiteboard that we have in the youth room and he asked the kids... A simple question and started filling out on the top of the whiteboard the answers. But what he asked our kids was to start giving him definitions of what people think will bring happiness and joy into their lives. What is it that people believe achieves achieves success in this life? Or if you attain something, what is it that would make somebody thought of in this world as a successful person if they attain it so the kids started shouting out answers to them and they came back with some good and some honest answers so the first thing that they talked about was money obviously money or financial success is something that this world or people in this world strive for and they think when they get money or the things that money can buy you that then you will achieve happiness or be a successful person. That led to, okay, well, job, having a good job, going to school, getting good grades, and getting that job that you want. And then once you're in that job, advancement in the workplace, that's success as far as we define it. Again, then, the stuff, the house, the toys, the cars, the cottages, the going to Michigan football games as they play Ohio State. Those things, comfort, leisure, they talked about power. Power is what people desire. To be in a position of power or a position of authority in life. They talked about themselves and a lot of kids their age, how they desire popularity or to be well-liked by others. And lastly, they brought up family. Well then, right before, as, as all these words are written on the top of the whiteboard... Right before he got into the text, Dave then took that whiteboard with all the things listed on the top that makes a successful person in this life, and he flipped that whiteboard upside down. And then, with that illustration in mind, he read through the Beatitudes, and he showed us practically how this world and its belief systems are completely flipped upside down. Jesus brings us the truth that we, that we need in order to right the ship, to right the wrong thinking that we have of 
what brings about success, what brings about joy and contentment in our life. Think of it this way, and this is an illustration that I've read and I often use with kids, and we talked about it that night, but think of flying in an airplane. And all you know is, all you've ever experienced in your life is when you take off in that airplane, the, the pilot immediately flips the airplane upside down. And that's all you've ever known. And this is normal. Well, then someone who knows airplanes, who is the chief designer of airplanes, now takes the pilot seat. He hops into that chair and turns the plane right side up. And you're like, what? Man, this is nice. That seatbelt is not digging into me anymore. I, you know, the blood's not rushing to my head. I'm not about to pass out. Is this the way that it's always supposed to have been? Well, Jesus is that designer, right? He's the creator. And sin has corrupted everything, and the airplane is flying upside down. So the creator takes the pilot seat in the incarnation, and he teaches us the truth, and he flips the plane right side up. Well, this past week, as I've been thinking about our study through the book of Philippians, I've thought about how the Lord is continuing this gracious work to us today of flipping things right side up. Things that are upside down because of sin, Jesus flips them right side up. He's proclaiming the truth in his word. So again, we might understand truth and walk in it. And here's how it ties into what we're going to be going through this morning. If we believe the lie that Satan, this world, and our flesh are trying to sell us, that it is through temporal things that we find success, if it's through temporal things that we find joy and happiness in this life, then we will never be satisfied. We will not know the biblical term of contentment. You see, what we think will bring us joy or contentment in our lives becomes our purpose in life. If I think that something is going to bring me joy, if I think something is going to bring me fulfillment and satisfaction, then I pursue it. I go after it. I say, I need this in order to get what I want. A house, a job, family, friends, comfort or leisure, power, authority popularity these things that are not inherently bad in and of themselves because of a false understanding of what they are become our gods because we think they will satisfy us so we fill our minds with achieving these things and the truth is is even when we get them we still aren't satisfied are we even in the off chance that we get what we've been striving for, we're still not satisfied. We find ourselves still longing for more. So we keep pursuing the same thing more and more. Or maybe we get the clue and we, we change and we, we change our direction and think something else is going to satisfy and we pursue that more and more. We can 
each one of us probably think of a time in our lives where something was going on. And whatever it was, was, it was filling our mind. It was filling us. When we went to bed, we were thinking about it. When we were waking up, we were thinking about it. And we just always are found wanting. Well, our worldly purpose statements in life, we need to understand that they just never seem to completely fulfill. Can we all agree with that this morning? Might I suggest something to us all as to why I believe this is? It's because there is only one purpose statement for our life that will really bring fulfillment. There's only one purpose statement for you that in the midst of a broken and fallen world, that this purpose statement has the ability and the power to give us joy and contentment regardless of the circumstance. And that purpose statement is simply this, Jesus Christ. That's our purpose statement. Ecclesiastes, if you go throughout and read the whole book yourself, we're not going to do that together this morning. (laughs) But at the very beginning in Ecclesiastes 1-2, King Solomon says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In verse 13 and 14, he says, I have applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom. By, I'm sorry, by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You see, the author, King, King Solomon, he sets out to find the meaning of life. He's looking for the purpose statement. And if you go throughout the book, as he's looking for what brings fulfillment, he searches through wisdom, money, possessions, power, love. And in the end, he finds that all is vanity. None of them have the power to bring fulfillment. None of them are the purpose statement. And he closes the book in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 by saying this, the end of the matter is this. Through all of it, this is what I learned. Pay attention. All has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I believe that the Lord is trying to teach us this same truth as we've been going through the book of Philippians. Joy and contentment in life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Joy and contentment in life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Remember the context in which Paul is writing this letter. He's writing to the Philippian believers from Rome as he is under house arrest. He's being held against his will, stuck being chained to a guard 24-7. And we can all imagine what he goes through as he's chained to a guard 24-7. No privacy. 
held against his will. He can't go out and do what he wants. He can't get what he wants, nor can he eat what he wants. Paul's life is not his own in a most unpleasant way. And is true for all prisoners at this particular time. The state of Rome doesn't provide for you through taxpayer front funds. We have that luxury here that was not a luxury in the Roman Empire. So your family or friends were responsible to care for your needs. And this brings up the occasion for the letter. The Philippian church, which Paul planted some 10 years earlier, heard of his need, heard of his circumstance, and they sent a financial gift with Epaphroditus to care for Paul, to minister to him. And this section that we are about to start this morning is really the ending of Paul's letter. It's the ending of his letter back to them in thanksgiving for their financial care and for their support. But obviously, Paul doesn't just send a thank you card. He doesn't just say, I received it, thank you, in the mail. No, he is a pastor at heart. So he asks Epaphroditus concerning the state of the church at Philippi. And Paul then writes back to the Philippians with words of encouragement and instruction along with his message of thanksgiving. And this final portion of the letter, this final thank you and goodbye, is just the same. It's filled with encouragement and teaching that are summed up in this. Welcome back, kids. Good job. You all came in so quietly. That was really good. So here's a highlight for you, kids. Paul sums it up in this. Remember, Philippians. Remember, church. Remember, KBC. Joy and contentment is found in one place. It's found in Jesus. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul begins this section again by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me before, but you had no opportunity. Paul is first identifying the circumstance. The Philippian church, at some point in the last 10 years, had stopped supporting Paul in his church planting ministry. They stopped sending him funds. See, Paul was a missionary that went from town to town preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing people come to salvation in Jesus. And then they would form assemblies of believers that we know of today as local churches. He was a church planter. Paul was sent out by the church at Antioch 
But he was also supported by many of the churches that he planted as he went throughout starting churches. And the church in Philippi was one of those churches. And Paul says, now at length, you've revived your concern for me. This word revived is an interesting word. It's an agricultural word speaking to actually a flower that has bloomed in the summertime. But then winter approaches and it shrivels up because of the cold weather. It's only to again the following spring when the proper circumstances arise, the flower blooms yet again. It has the right temperature being properly watered, the sunshine, all of this results in revival of the flower. Well, Paul says to the Philippian believers, you guys are like that flower. They had connected with him early on. They cared for him through financial gifts, but conditions changed. And these change of conditions resulted in their inability to send Paul care through financial support. And we understand too from the, t- from the text that this condition was a lengthy affair. It had been quite some time. Now what exactly those conditions are, what they were that prevented the Philippians from supporting Paul, they're not mentioned in the context. So I'll just say that. They're a bit unimportant, apparently. But what Paul says is important is that their partnership with him is revived. They have always cared for Paul, is what he's insinuating in the text. But they were unable to share with him financially for some time. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. going to read about the Macedonian churches and as we can all remember the church at Philippi is amongst them it's one of the churches I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 8 1 through 5 it says this we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a a severe test of affliction Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, they're being persecuted. They're poor. And yet they have the joy of the Lord. And all of these things combined have overflowed into a wealth of generosity. They have given. And he clarifies, how have they given? For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody told them to do this. They're in poverty, and they gave beyond what they were able to give. That's incredible. And they gave begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Their heart was so in giving to the saints in Jerusalem that they were begging earnestly for this favor that they knew it was favor 
from God to do this. He says, And this we accepted, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So thinking about the context, could it have been severe persecution and poverty that limited their giving? We don't know. We know that they were in severe persecution and poverty. So possibly, maybe those are the difficulties that were going on with them and prevented them from more giving in the future. But what's important is look again at verse 5. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This giving themselves to the Lord is what filled the believers with J-O-Y joy. The gospel brings joy. Knowing, coming face to face with God and all of his holiness and knowing that we are sinners and knowing that we are helpless to change our sinful estate and that God's wrath is should be justly poured out on us as sinners, knowing that we're in that place and also knowing that God loves us, knowing that he would stop at nothing to buy us back to himself. So he sends forth his son Jesus to die in our place, to take the full wrath that we deserve on the cross. And then he raised from the dead three days later and he offers life. And we see the resurrection and it fills us with joy that God would love us. That God would leave glory in the heavens and become a man and humble himself to the extent of death. Even death on a cross for you and for me. This brings joy. God loves me. They believed and they decided to follow Jesus. Their life was filled with joy because they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then the Philippian church followed the Lord in obedience by giving themselves to Paul by the will of God through giving to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And this results in their abundance abundance of joy turn back to Philippians 4 let's read again what Paul says verse 10 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me it's important to understand this Paul's joy when writing this letter is found where? It's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. Remember, he's suffering in prison. But following Jesus is what revives his soul. So much so that he wants the Philippians to understand clearly that he is not rejoicing in the Lord over their gift. We're going to look at that in a moment. He wants them to know the primary thing that he's rejoicing in, greatly, he says, is not the gift itself. But more so, Paul rejoices greatly over what their gift 
means. What it means about the Philippian church and their relationship with Jesus. Turn to John 15 with me. John 15, 10 through 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We see here in this text that God's joy comes to us from living in God's love. God's joy overflows to us through living in God's love. And living or abiding in God's love, Jesus says, is equated to obeying his commandments. That's how I live. That's how I reside in his love and experience it. I obey his commandments. And then Jesus gets specific on his commandments. He says to love one another as he has loved us. You see, our relationship with Jesus is always connected to our relationships with one another. Our relationship with Jesus is always manifested and it always overflows in our relationships with one another. When we experience the love of God in Christ, we want it more and more. It brings joy into our hearts. And when we come to know the truth of God's love for us, And that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And he rose from the dead the third day to give us new life. That love is overwhelming and we want to experience it again more and more. Well, Jesus tells us, how can you experience it more and more? He tells us how to live in his love. We obey his commandments. And specifically, we model Jesus in love towards one another. You see, it's important to understand God's word and God's commandments and the reality of what they are. Not in what our sinful minds or what this world might say about them, but what does God say that his commandments are to us? You see, God is not a cosmic killjoy who sets out to make your life miserable No, he has demonstrated he loves you. It's clear. The cross, the resurrection, it's clear he loves us. And his commandments, though they go against everything we have ever known or experienced in this life, in this world, though they might be upside down to us, they are true. They're truth. It's exactly what we need to walk in fellowship with him. God's commands are literally what is best because he is what is best. They are God's love letter to us. It's his loving commandments. 
God gives us his truth-filled commands out of love for our good because it's what we need. And he says, love one another. When we walk in this, when we give ourselves to the Lord and in kind then, sacrificially give ourselves by his will for one another, what the Macedonian churches were doing, God's perfect joy According to John 15, Jesus Christ's words himself, God's perfect joy that he alone possesses in himself, this joy he pours out into our hearts. Through the gift of the Philippian church, Paul can tell that this is taking place in them. This is taking place in them. So Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, greatly. My joy is greatly increased knowing that through this revival of your concern for me, I see evidence that your heart has been given to the Lord for all these years, even when we didn't hear from each other and even when you couldn't give to me. Your heart has been for the Lord. And because the purpose in your lives is evident, it's for Jesus Christ, it's after Him, I know that you are joy-filled. I know that you are joy-filled with the holy, righteous joy of Jesus, and I rejoice greatly in that same joy. So how do we know that this is what Paul is saying? That he's thankful to the gift giver and for the gift giver, Jesus. That he's not just saying, I'm thankful for the gift and what it gives for me practically in my life. Because he makes it clear upon clear upon clear in the text. Philippians 4, 11, 12 says this. Not, back in Philippians 4, sorry. Verse 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He repeats himself over and over to show it's not the gift. It's not what the gift accomplishes for him practically and providing for his needs. It's not this specifically that brings him great rejoicing. Paul says, I can be in need. I can be brought low or I can abound. I can face plenty. I can be hungry. I can be content in abundance or in need. Paul keeps clarifying so that they get it and so that we get it. I am not rejoicing in the Lord for your gifts specifically and how it meets my needs, but for something else, something that is better. And I just take a moment and let that sink in. How interesting is that? How interesting is that? Can you imagine giving a gift to someone and they respond to you with, thank you, I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly, but it's not because of your gift. Isn't that interesting that he does that?
Paul says that he learned the secret to contentment. Meaning that it is not evident in the sinner's heart and mind. It is not evident in the fallen world. God must teach us so that we are truly content. Content, the word is used to speak of a country that had everything that it needed And this country then would never have to import any goods in order to survive. It has everything within itself to survive. Nothing else is needed. Well, hint, Paul is not saying that in myself, in himself, he's got everything that he needs. He's not saying he is self-sufficient. But he is saying that he is fully supplied and what he needs. Well, how does the text say he's fully supplied? He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says that he has learned to find all of his supply in the Lord himself. I found everything that I need in Jesus. And again, he says he's learned this, which means it didn't come naturally to Paul. He had to learn the truth. And once he learned the truth, he was made aware of it. He had to learn it practically, actually believing the truth and living according to that truth in his life. So how did God teach him this? How did Paul learn that Jesus, in obedience to Jesus, was his purpose in life and therefore everything that he needed? Again, not that I'm I'm speaking of being in need. Paul went without. Just like he currently was, without, right? This need means... The absence of basic necessities. We, we think about need and it means something radically different than that, doesn't it? When Paul talks about himself being in need and I learned how to live in need. He's talking about basic things that we need. Need. He also says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. So he went without, but also God taught him contentment by going through times in his life when he had abundance. This means his needs were met and he still had other things left over. Material upon material. God taught Paul to find his contentment not in what he had in this life as far as material possessions and circumstances, but in Jesus Christ alone through poverty and through prosperity. He went through them both to learn this. So this brings us to a really important question that we all must ask ourselves. If God was teaching Paul through his life circumstances, that contentment is found in Jesus Christ alone, that all that you need is in him, in knowing him, in serving him, then we must understand 
that God is at work in the same way in our lives. If the purpose of my existence is to know and follow Jesus, then how is God using my current circumstances to accomplish this? How is God using today, whether I'm getting what this world would say is good, or whether I'm getting what this world would say is bad, whatever the situation I am in right now, how is God using this to make me more like Jesus? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. We can't control the circumstances. There are so many things outside of our control in our lives. So what do we ask? What do we do when things are out of our control, good or bad? We believe the truth. We believe that God is working all things out for our good. And that's to be more like Jesus. God, how are you using this to make me more like Christ? And I will give you an answer An answer that might seem like, man, that question, the answer to it, it's got to be far beyond our reach. How can I go through the circumstances of my life that are out of my control and I don't know what God is doing specifically and how he wants to use them? Man, that's got to be outside of my reach. But I want to encourage you that actually the answer is quite simple. It's not easy, (laughs) but it's simple. It's simple enough that we can answer. And it's through this, trust and obey. Trust and obey. You see, regardless of the circumstance, ask yourself, how do I follow Jesus now? I don't know what he's doing. I don't know the end. How can I follow Jesus now? What commands does he give to me? What promises do I have to trust in this moment? If we walk through today filled with faith and dependent obedience for the glory of God in our lives, I promise you, we will be more like Jesus. Is that or is that not a description of Philippians chapter 2? Jesus, filled with faith, dependent obedience for the glory of his Father in heaven. And the text says that he will give us the strength to do this. Because of Jesus... Because the gospel is true, through Jesus, by his power, by his strength, we can follow Jesus for the glory of Jesus' name. That's what the famous verse of Philippians 4.13 is all about. Not that some fighter in the UFC can punch someone's face off, And they can go around and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not what this text means. (laughs) 
No, God says that in every circumstance, whether we have abundance or whether we're desperately in need of supply, in whatever circumstance, we can find our fill in Jesus. We can find everything that our hearts need in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can speaks to ability. I can. I can do all things speaks to the context of learning to find our fill in Jesus no matter the circumstance. That's the all things. Finding our fill in Jesus no matter the circumstance. Through him who strengthens me, Jesus supplies us with his joy and contentment. He strengthens us and enables us to walk in obedience to him for the glory of his great name, and he provides his joy. He's the one that strengthens us to do this. So ask him to help you. Larry, ask him to help you. You see, it's a simple answer, but it is difficult. Amen? Thank you, Lord, that you promise to help. Thank you, Lord, that you promise to supply and to strengthen. Ask him for help and then focus your mind, focus your heart on finding your purpose. Focus your mind on your satisfaction being in Christ and in Christ alone. Wake up each day in prayer and say, Jesus, you are Lord and you are my Lord. You're Lord over this day. This day is for you. And no matter what comes my way, I will believe this truth. Help my unbelief. I believe this, Lord. Help me. I will find my joy in living according to this truth, living for you today. Father, help me. Help me to follow you in whatever day, whatever this day brings. Help me in every circumstance to live Christ. Because life is about knowing Jesus. It's about serving Jesus. And it's about making Jesus known. I give my life to this end, to this purpose today. We all are familiar with catechisms. It's kind of a foreign thought for a lot of us. But catechisms can be helpful. It's not the scriptures, but it's helpful especially for kids to get some of the theological truth from Scripture memorized into their heads, into their hearts, so that God would produce fruit through that, planting of seeds. But the first two questions of some of the most famous catechisms that are out there is, what is the chief end of man? Number one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's your purpose. That's your purpose statement. Every moment, every day, it's to glorify God. I'm here for Him. 
I exist for him. Number two, then, what is our only comfort in life and in death? It's the only thing that can bring me comfort and fulfillment and joy. Answer that I'm not my own. I'm not my own. But belonging body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the comfort. The world, the flesh, and Satan will always try to distract and convince us that satisfaction in life comes from serving self or getting what I want or trying to get these things that Jesus says, this will never satisfy you. Don't worry about these things. Don't do it. God will provide for you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he'll take care of the rest. And I want to tell you this. I want to close with this. It is when our joy is found in surrender to the gift giver. It's when our joy is truly found in Jesus Christ that we can actually now truly enjoy the gifts that he gives. It's when our joy is found in surrender to the gift giver that we can truly enjoy his gifts. Every good gift comes from the gift giver and it's meant to be enjoyed god is not a cosmic killjoy don't believe that lie god is not trying to hold us down he's trying to free us from enslavement to sin and he accomplished it he's victorious christ died and he rose again and for those who believe in him there is therefore now no condemnation no wrath The power of sin has been broken in our lives. We're set free. And now we must walk in that freedom. Walk in obedience that the joy of the Lord would be ours. So let's trust in God. Let's believe in what he says to be true. Let's follow him with radical abandon. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you again for your truth. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to give us truth, to set us straight. And Father, I just pray that again, as we're celebrating Thanksgiving this weekend, that our hearts would be truly thankful for what you've given to us in Christ. That we would learn as the apostle paul learned to have contentment in you to find all of what we need in jesus christ may we pursue you with radical abandon and enjoy the benefits that come to us as a result we pray these things by faith in jesus christ in his holy name we do pray amen